Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello and welcome back to our flagship show here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. After a one-week break, it's ESSR Central. No, we're not in the studio. No, don't bloody ask. My name is Ross McLeod, bringing back the heavy hitters that are David Campbell and Gary Kernahan. Gary, you go away for all of a week and chaos ensues. We're, we're, we're back at home. Yeah, I said I wasn't on last week. You were going to have to make do with uh, with some jobbers and you decided to skip it totally. <laughs> but delighted like, to be back. We've got the A team together tonight, guys. The A team together. It's going to be exactly. a great show. Exactly. David Campbell, uh, massaging your ego further seems like a dangerous thing, but here I am doing it. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Like, obviously, you know, the studio is nice, but this feels like, oh, it's the pandemic set again. We're back at home. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's giving me 2020 flashbacks, to be sure. It's all right, we're going to get this done. We'll watch some Tiger King and a lobo. Anyway, <laughs> if you want to listen to our massive back catalogue of previews, reviews, interviews, and all the news, then you can find us on all good Android podcasting sites, Spotify, and iTunes. Just search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet or at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Uh, get involved in our big question over on Facebook. Our big question from two weeks ago was about the draft and we can talk about how some of the guys are fitting in now that the draft has sort of settled. Uh, we've had two weeks of Raw and SmackDown, a lot of guys making their debut in the Battle Royal last night, so we'll touch on that. But the top story is the World Heavyweight Championship, as it seems to be on these new centrals. <laughs> uh, the World Heavyweight Championship tournament started last Monday night on Raw. Six men, sorry, well, let's go through the, the 12 men who were in the tournament. We had Seth Rollins, we had Shinsuke Nakamura, we had The Miz, we had Finn Balor, Cody Rhodes, and Damien Priest. Damien Priest, yes. Then on SmackDown, we had Edge, AJ Styles, Rey Mysterio, Bobby Lashley, Austin Theory, and Sheamus. What were your thoughts, guys? I'll come to you first, David. When the brackets, uh, when the First 12 superstars were announced. Yeah, a bit underwhelming uh, for some. I think instinctively as a wrestling fan these days, 
you go, I would like to see work rate matches. Where is my Johnny Gargano? Where's my Chad Gable getting his moment in the sun? Why is Miz in here in a world title tournament at this point in 2023? But when I saw the triple threat matches, I think that all changed because you could tell on paper that all of these were going to be absolute banging matchups. And we like I like the idea of doing the two halves of the brackets on the same nights as well. So, yeah, a bit underwhelmed at first when I saw um, the participants being announced, but as I saw how the tournament was going to take shape, my excitement started to build. Yeah, what about you, Gary? Yeah, I I really, really hate this half the tournament happening in SmackDown. It just <laughs> makes no sense to me. Yeah. The brand split was supposed to be the brand split and we were told that the World Heavyweight Championship would be exclusive to whatever show Roman did not go to. And then immediately we have a tournament that involves where half of the people are not on the show where the championship belongs to. And it is yet to be explained if AJ Styles wins this, does he move to Raw? Or does the championship go to SmackDown, they see go on both shows. That's never been explained. And that sort of storytelling really annoys me as much and also uh, a lack of storytelling uh, annoys me. And, you know, the first week or what we in week two of the fixed rosters and we already have a SmackDown guy appearing in Raw with Paul Heyman's appearance. So that stuff annoys the hell out of me. Um, I think there was probably was time to do the you know, half the brackets one week on Raw and the other half this week in Raw because you can see what we got this week in Raw was the sit-down interviews with Seth where he's talking about things and that's going to build. Uh, that's how they're building this this match with AJ Styles. Um, not too many qualms about the, the six people from Raw that were in it or the fact they had the two triple threats and then immediately the singles match that, that night. Um, it's just the... The way this has been put together has not reassured me that this is a lesser than championship. Um, I'm just reading an article here, according to Dave Meltzer, via the Wrestling Observer Radio. The booking decision to have half the tournament on SmackDown is WWE's attempt to retain uh, viewership during the ongoing NBA playoffs. Friday SmackDown was going up against Game 6 of the semi-final bracket, New York Knicks versus Miami Heat. And then the Lakers versus the Golden State Warriors. So it seemed to be playoffs, big, big uh, rating uh, takeaway from WWE on the Friday. So they wanted to put main event level matches. And in fairness, one of the SmackDown uh, triple threats was certainly that. It was AJ Styles, Edge and Rey Mysterio, two mm. Hall of Famers and a two-time WWE champion in AJ Styles. Uh, but let's start with the first of four triple threat matches that week. Damian Priest, Seth Rollins, and Nakamura. This was the best of the four triple threats for me, I thought. Um, Damian Priest coming off the match with Bad Bunny, a sensational match at Backlash. Uh, we all scoffed when they said it would main event, and then thought, oh, sugar, that should have main evented. Um, but he's apparently being looked at just now as someone who's going to get a big push coming out of this. However, I think we all thought, no matter what happens in one triple threat, Seth Rollins was coming out on top in his. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I the matches themselves, I think when you look at the the construct of the four matches there. On paper, pretty pretty good. It's quite a different match, especially the two in SmackDown, where you've got uh, I was going to say the three legends, the three faces, AJ Ray and Edge going up against each other. And I thought it was also interesting to see the match starting with two of the three of them already in the ring. And I understand there was a live broadcast on socials of the entrances to try as a as a tactic to get people to oh it's on. I'll tune in and watch it. Less effective for us that are sitting up to one a.m. to watch it. Which yeah. I think you're quite right, Ross McLeod, when you said to me previously that, that these 1am starts are barbaric. <laughs> but thankfully, this weekend we get a reasonable start time uh, with, with Saudi. Uh, and the other match, Lashley, Theory and Shame, is a bit more sort of big men slapping meat. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the four matches. Um, the Cody match, uh, I was expecting some shenanigans, and we got some shenanigans. Yeah, and I liked the finishes to the matches on Raw. Uh, Gary sort of talked about the ones on SmackDown there, but I love Seth winning with the pedigree oh, yeah. in the first match on Raw because it makes that once again. I think he's been using it in matches as kind of a signature move. The pedigree shouldn't be that. Uh, the pedigree should feel that it can finish an opponent in one go. Yeah. So winning that first triple threat with that I thought was good. And it kept Nakamura looking strong. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the way that it all went down, like Gary said, shenanigans with the Cody triple threat was always going to happen. Uh, but Balor managing to take advantage of that before we got into the Cody Brock uh, face-off was good. And it's what we wanted to see in that main mm-hmm. event. It made sense. The last time they introduced the world title, Seth and Balor were doing one-on-one battle for it to get that in the semi-final, the main event of Raw. And Cody Graves actually bringing it up. On a number of occasions, like the buckle bomb spot, he's like, that's what injured Finn before. That long-term storytelling is great. So the fact they acknowledged that was good, I enjoyed, like Gary saying, the layout of all these matches. Let's talk about um, the the final on SmackDown. So Bobby Lashley wins his triple threat, AJ Styles wins his. It led to a chat in our, our group chat after what was a stellar main event between AJ and Bobby Lashley. Is Bobby Lashley possibly one of the most criminally underrated superstars in WWE. Yes. Yes. That was a short discussion. Thanks, folks. No, it's easy. It's completely easy to say that, I think. The perception that we had of Bobby Lashley when he came back and doing the sister stuff, you have no idea how hard a stink that is to get off you. And Mm -hmm. ever since the the heart business, which we already loved, Bobby Lashley somehow got better and better and better. And when he, he can't teach star quality, you ta- can't teach presentation. Like, when Bobby Lashley comes out, he looks like a main event player. He feels like an absolute star. And for such a big man, you'd think, oh, it's just muscle move, it's power moves. He does stuff we've seen before, but it makes it feel exciting. It makes it feel intense. And, yeah, like you say, Ross, criminally underrated. Um, so it's going to be AJ Styles versus Seth Rollins, main event of uh, Night of Champions in Saudi Arabia. As Gary says, a decent time for us good British folk. Sit down with a cup of tea at a reasonable an hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> but AJ Styles, Seth Rollins, I think if you want to build interest in a world title like this, treating the fans to a main event of the quality of Seth Rollins and AJ Styles, regardless of our feelings about the brand split, the actual wrestlers themselves, mm-hmm. this makes us world title worthy. How many times have we saw a match 
of this calibre go down for an IC, a US title, and the commentators deem it world title worthy. This is this is exactly that. Yeah, and if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but AJ hasn't faced Roman in this one thousand day reign, has he? Not no. to my knowledge, no. So we've got two people in the final, which was one of my pleas a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about this as the first world heavyweight champion should not be somebody that has uh, failed in the challenge to Roman. So we're yeah. guaranteed a world heavyweight champion who has not been one of the the people who's come up short against Roman in this, well, it's going to be over 1,000-day title reign because he's not defending the title yet again, but we'll get <laughs> on to that. Yeah, so, well, you've mentioned it, so we'll just get straight on to it this past Friday. Roman Reigns returned. Uh, to address business with the bloodline. He berated the Usos. He said, do you think we weren't going to talk about it? You dedicate a tag team title match to me and the family we come from is filled with tag teams. But you dedicate it to me and lose and you didn't think we were going to talk about it. He talked about Solo being the only one in the bloodline to take care of business. He then announced that Sammy and KO would defend their titles one more time. You see the Usos rubbing their hands, thinking they're getting a title match. And Roman announced it would be himself and Solo going up against Sammy and KO and dedicated it to the greatest tag team in the Anawaya family, the Wild Samoans. Which I loved that when he said it, he turned and looked the Usos right in the eyes and left them standing in the ring. Sammy Zayn had a line on uh, Raw this past week. We don't need to watch the bloodline crumble. Roman's doing it for us. Roman's clearing the decks. Roman's doing a Michael Beal, Gary. Right after that <laughs> semi-final. Jimmy Uso, Jay Uso, Alfredo Morelos Uso, all of them in the door. <laughs> clearing the decks. Yeah. And taking matters into his own hand. Um, this will be an amazing match, but a bit frustrating at a pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia where we know Roman will be wrestling and it's day 1000 of his title run that he's not defending the title. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In many ways, the story makes sense. It's almost like that uh, that Thanos moment at the end of is Avengers. It Age of Ultron. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, the first thanks. Avengers movie. I'll need to, do, need to do it myself. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's kind no, of no. No, you're right. Age of Ultron. Yeah, you're oh, right. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and who's the movie buff here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I love that part of it. I need to. T- I need to do this myself. Um, part of it, and you could see on Raw this week as well. Kevin Owens starting to get really fed up with Sami Zayn and his obsession with the bloodline, and desperate to move on with it um, and there was a couple of other wrinkles like at Backlash was it was a Backlash where it looked like uh, Solo was going to spike uh, Jey Uso yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so the, the deep unhappiness now if Roman ends up winning another championship he's going to be like Mr. T coming to the ring here <laughs> with all the bling um, four, four championship belts to, to carry with them Um I'll be, uh, I, I'm disappointed that Roman's not defending the championship at Night of Champions um, but I am intrigued 
finished with this angle. I'm also intrigued now, also, and um, we touched on this, and it's also never been explained, when you've got a tag team champion, whether that be the men's or the women's, that's exclusive, that's been drafted to one brand, what does that mean for the championships? Because that's also never been explained to us. It was implied on commentary and Raw on Monday by Corey Graves. He referenced all the tag teams in SmackDown that would be keen to have a shot at the championships. So are the champions going to be able to float between shows? Yeah, I don't know. I have to disagree with you is that I don't really care that he's not defending the Universal title uh, in Night of Champions. I don't, I don't care about that. Here's the thing. Like everyone else, when the Cody stuff happened at Mania, I was like, surely the Roman story is played out. Surely there's not more to come. And then they keep delivering segment after segment, story mm-hmm. after story, that just keeps me coming back, keeps me hanging on. That segment in SmackDown... A star, just outrageously good and made me buy into everything that they were saying. We've called out for slow burn stories in wrestling as fans for as long as I can remember. Now, you can argue if it's a bit too long for your taste or not. But for me, they're putting the story above the fictional mechanics of a title. I understand we want to see world titles getting defended. I understand we want it to make sense. But we have a new world title being launched at the pay-per-view, so it puts all of the attention on that for this pay-per-view. And also, who on SmackDown is going to face them at the minute? Are we just throwing someone to the wolves who is trying to get a push on a new brand in their first match out right out of the bat is, bam, you lose to Roman? I don't think it works. I'm happy for this tag team uh, match because it continues the story of the bloodline and I'm personally all for it I, I, triple thumbs up from me oh, I don't disagree with any of that goat, but the, the the symmetry of the 1000 days as championship and also this is also symptomatic of w, symptom of WWE booking himself into a corner hmm. uh, and having and not splitting the two championships before now because a perfect story at Backlash to say Roman you've been drafted to Smackdown the other champion, you know, only one of those belts is coming with you. The other one's going to Raw, so right. you're going to have to defend them both. And then he loses one of them, or you know, there's a million different ways you could have booked it. I just think a wee bit of a symptom of them booking themselves into it. I'm certainly in no rush to see the end of the Bloodline story. It's, it's, it's some of the best work WWE has done in an awful long time. An yeah. awful long time. I maybe have to go back to Batista's turn, yeah, to see that sort of yeah. actually them holding the patience and following through mm-hmm. on it. Okay, fair enough. Right, well, from Solo and Roman to Brock and Cody. So Cody and Brock main evented the Backlash pay per view. Um, just a quick, quick aside. What did you think of the actual match itself, Cody versus Brock? Fine. Fine. I think it's. <laughs> it, it, I enjoyed it. It suffered from Randy Orton Triple H at WrestleMania 25. I think it's a better match than that, but it's it's hard to evaluate it in the match alone when you know it shouldn't have been the main event of that night. Yeah. So you know, I like the way that Cody gets the win at the end. He he won pretty cleanly, um, but also in a way that made. Brock still looks strong, so you can t- continue the feud, but Cody gets a win back after what happened at Mania. 
So, yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it suffered from comparison to the Bad Bunny match. I ironically think he was six-man that preceded it. Yeah. It's ironic, last year's six-man with RK-Bro and Drew against the Bloodline with Roman was great, and it was main event worthy, whereas the six-man tag this year felt very house showy. Mm. It felt very, WWE's coming to your town, and here's six big stars in one match. The trouble was that this story actually finished the week before SmackDown when we had the rematch for the champ the tag ch- yeah. titles, that was yeah. that. That sure does done, done. Yeah, yeah. That was the end of that. So the fact that um, they they then went again with it was was unnecessary, um, and yeah, failed failed to get over. It reminded me a little bit of you know going back a little bit to WrestleMania seventeen with Hogan and Rock. Uh, in the sense that nobody expected it to be that good, and I don't think really any we really expected Bad Bunny and Priest to be as good yeah, as it good was. Story. It was sensational. The match, that crowd reaction when he came out was was something else. I mean, I've just watched it back just to hear, <laughs> just to see that again. Yeah, <laughs> on the moment. Oh yeah, well, Carly, Savio. I'll talk to you about Savio quite a bit, and he's uh, first feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> sending the million dollar man packing in that strap match. Um, <laughs> but the the main event, I I enjoyed the Cody Brock match. The blood loss from Brock Lesnar in that match was mm. something else, and I loved Cody's promo on Monday where he, he talked about. Um, you know, Brock Lesnar. What, what, what did he say exactly now? I should have written it down. But you referred to like Brock Lesnar, you know, look in the mirror, look what i done to you. Uh, and there's a part of it, like, you know, that sort of quick finish or surprise finish makes it look like, well, the baby face, they survived the, the, the bad guy, the beast in this instance. Yeah. But then when you look at the end of it, the like state that Brock was in, you could argue, actually, Cody didn't just survive that match. Yeah. Um, I thought it was liked, a really good match. Really enjoyed it. I liked the references Cody, uh, Cody Graves made about Brock. Because Brock, to me, is at his best as a heel, where he is at comic book level, villain level, just scariness. The reference Superman doing his best to put Doomsday away and just survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing Cody as the All-American. But ironically, David, I didn't expect the best version of comic book bad guy Brock Lesnar to be Beautiful Billy for the Punisher screaming at the camera, look at my face, look at my face. And it's brilliant. And I think it's a lot of people pointed to that moment on Raw and said, look how hard Brock is working for Cody. Yeah. Like, we talked about a motivated Brock Lesnar, a Brock Lesnar who's having fun away from the pressure of just being world champion and the final boss. Like, now it's the unhinged monster Brock Lesnar, you know, dashing Brock Lesnar. Uh, <laughs> he's going to start putting bags in people's heads. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I love this, this feud we're getting. I think a lot of people were disappointed with the night after the Raw after WrestleMania, but mm. I think sometimes that's the expectations we as fans put on that show. 
that yeah. unless there's like five surprise returns and anything, um, it can. And I don't I don't disagree that we're WWE built up that way <laughs> yeah, for a long time. I, I agree, but in the long run, this feud between Brock and Cody has been, I think, better than anyone could have expected. And hopefully, the match at Night of Champions continues that. Um, and uh, probably we could see this run into SummerSlam. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think so. I think this is the second of a trilogy. I think Brock's winning in Saudi. Um, Ali versus Gunther. Who saw that coming? <laughs> well, <laughs> we talk about throwing ra- uh, a random person in front of Roman Reigns for a title <laughs> match. This is the equivalent for the Intercontinental Championship. <laughs> <laughs> Ali got a big win last week when nobody expected him to over Otis and he's just won the Battle Royal this week um, just quickly does he have a chance in hell of winning? No No. Okay moving on David <laughs> something you love doing over on mm. Saturday Draft Live Yes With the Listeners League the Listeners <laughs> League update Jeez um, Gary go put a cup of tea on <laughs> oh. uh, we do break down our weekly listeners' league for those of you that are listening. Yeah. Uh, Saturday Draft Live every Saturday, we'll go into the detailed analysis of our in-house draft and our listeners' league draft. Which, if you listen to Saturday Draft Live, we'll tell you how you can get involved in that. But David, you have a weekly roundup of how the listeners' league is going. Yeah. So uh, at the end of last week, it was Lachlan Hyatt with the Kilmarnock Kiss and seventy-seven points. Uh, must be a member of David Cockney's Country Club. It sounds like he's regen in FIFA. Uh, a very posh name there, but he's top of the listeners' league. We have a tie for second. Alan Laurie with Lana Oki is a war crime. Uh, Robert Shaw with Monday Night Shaw. Love Robert Shaw here. And Mike Dunn for Sports <laughs> Entertainers. Yeah, they're all in 74 points. Now, when we look at people who have maybe let the listeners' league down, Rhea Ripley was by far the most picked player in the listeners' league. Um, but she's actually doing pretty well. We'll look at those who have been picked eight times, though. That's the people who have been picked the second most. MGF has only got one point uh, this week uh, for people in the Listeners League, which is not something that you would want for being picked that many times. Adam Cole also banned uh, from the arena. Um, zero points for those who picked him on the listeners league so those are big letdowns in terms of scorers there's a bit of uh, there's a, a bright horizon coming up because becky lynch has been mia for a lot of people picked her six times listeners league people will be happy to see her back but it's worth noting only one appearance point last week and it was the same again on monday night raw they'll be happy to see her get back in the ring at night of champions but whether she picks up the win they'll need to wait and see um a fun note alan skinner will be happy in the listeners league he's the only man uh, who picked Seth Rollins in the entire Listeners League. So he's winning oh. big on the raw side bracket of that tournament, uh, but also could be in for big things if Seth does indeed pick up the world title. I, was, I also wrote down in my notes, no Listeners League player has picked AJ Styles, but there's a good reason for that, because no one in the draft picked AJ Styles, so he wasn't in <laughs> any of the pots. So when it comes to the transfer everyone, window... Yeah. Everyone apparently thought he had a broken ankle. That was why I didn't fucking pick him. Yeah, exactly. But like, transfer window season, you'll hear about that in SDL. Sure, Dave will bring it up. AJ Styles is probably the top priority for a lot of people heading into that. Uh, top three scorers for last week. Backlash points were counted in. In third place, we had Cody Rhodes with 11 points. Big win over Brock Lesnar. Appearances on uh, Monday Night Raw. Rhea Ripley got 12 points. And Seth Rollins, 13 points. No surprise that he was the top scorer 
last week. So that's the breakdown of the Listeners League. Obviously, Gunter also has been missing in action for a lot of Listeners League players. As of last night, as time we're recording on Monday Night Raw, that's about to change. And I think Gunter could be a big factor in deciding a lot of people's teams going forward. There we go. Gary, you anything to add to this? Any any grievances with your draft team at the moment? Uh, I just wanted to ask a question. Who's who's top of the draft overall, guys? Uh, our draft, uh, the the yeah, the, main, draft. the Premier League, yeah. That yeah. would be Team Viscera, managed <gasps> by our own Gary Kernahan. He's on <gasps> seventy-seven points as of right now. Um, and last mm-hmm. place and great news to me is Andy Mitchell <laughs> <laughs> I talked about joking your ego there David I mean Gary's got a team of masseurs rubbing his ego for Christ's sake but anyway we digress let's move on to our next news story which is AEW at Wembley has just broke 70,000 seats um, or at least it did last week before we never got to record the show. But AEW, 70,000 seats sold in the 90,000-seater stadium. This show just gets more and more incredible. And there's not even been a match announced yet. Yeah, it's absolutely fabulous. Which now leads you to think that if Tony Khan was thinking about bringing in CM Punk, Goldberg, anybody like that to boost ticket sales, he probably doesn't need to. Spend a lot of money. Wander campaign on Bill Goldberg, Gary. It's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, guys. I I met Goldberg a few weeks ago. I quite I I know my hero's Bret Hart, and he you know the two of them don't get on apparently. (laughs) Um, I don't mind Goldberg, um, but any stretch of the imagination. But it just makes you think that actually, if you can sell seventy thousand seats without the big hit, do you need? to spend an awful, awful, awful lot of money to push you over the edge for the remaining 20,000. And a lot of the seats that are left over are likely to be the the less good seats because they are all sell. But it's totally phenomenal. The, I was just checking again there because it was reported through the week. I think there's about 8,000 available tickets currently on sale. As yeah, reported. Well, just looking here, it was WrestleTix on Twitter yeah. that reported it. Uh, available tickets, 8,046. It's currently set up to hold 74,000. It's estimated that, sorry, it's not at 70k, it's at 60k. 65,000 seats distributed, six, 65,979. So not mm-hmm. kicking the off away off to 66,000. And it's estimated that 61,346 of those have been paid tickets. So mm-hmm. the setup is for 74,000. You imagine they'd have the, the grandiose entrance ramp. However, people still buying tickets. I think we can see this get into at least 75,000, 80,000 80, seats. Yeah, it's a... It's utterly phenomenal and uh, the biggest show that AEW have ever done. It's a message to WWE that they could have been doing this, but equally WWE have made a fortune from Money in the Bank and SmackDown with very, very, very little effort put into marketing and selling those events and at a much higher ticket price. So it wouldn't surprise me to see when you look at the the net revenues from both of these events probably not too much of a difference between them, but it shows WWE that they, you know, they did clash the castle. They did exceptionally well from this. They could have been doing even better from from Wembley. And you got to think as uh, 
it's the casual audience that AEW probably have less left to sweep up now. So um, um, it'll be interesting to see how how they get on with it. But it's just utterly, utterly phenomenal. And credit where credit's due. Yeah, I need to give them credit where it's due. I said they wouldn't do it. I was on this show a couple of weeks ago making a great point, I thought, about why I think there's a chance it might fail. Uh, It did not fail. Uh, They have done really well. And I think Gary is right. This should be, even though you talk about the price bracket and profits and something like that, there's something to be said for getting your brand name out there creating a buzz and in, in something that people are aware of and that's what Clash of the Castle did that's what this show is going to do Money in the Bank isn't really going to take advantage of that in the same way if WWE had done a show at Wembley I think even more than AEW is going to do it permeates the zeitgeist and allows wrestling back into the front and centre of the mainstream which is mm-hmm. what they should be trying to do to bring in more fans I think AEW have done that successfully fair play to them mm-hmm. um, Gary you mentioned not bringing in someone like a punk because the, the the sale of tickets is already there, the, the buzz is already there. It looks like June 17th is the launch for the new Collision Show, the second brand of AEW, possibly getting its own world championship as well to keep everyone separate. June 17th for Collision, would you hold off until that night to bring CM Punk back? Because... It seems to be with Punk being backstage at WWE and backstage at Impact and this never going away fascination with Wednesday and Punk coming back that they really don't need to advertise him for him to be the reason people are tuning in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they're launching uh, Saturday Slam down (laughs) (laughs) and um, it's going to, he's going to head up that show. He has to be on the debut show, doesn't he? Um, yeah. A strategic mistake that I think AEW made was have, and I understand why they did it, and the reaction from it was phenomenal, bringing back Daniel Bryan, introducing Daniel Bryan and Adam Cole on the same night, I mm-hmm. thought was a mistake. They could have and should have had this. They could have had two big moments instead of, Boom, both of them in the one one full swoop of them all. So I think they probably need to bring Punk back for this this one. But if he wasn't back for the launch of Collision, I wouldn't be if it was me, I would not be paying a fortune to get him to appear at Wembley, particularly because you know, they're not going to make this an annual thing, are they? They're not going to be back at Wembley next year for all in. So, I was just saying, on the point of the new belt, the difference between AW and WWE is WWE has the clout and the history to bring back a replica of the big gold belt and make that their new world championship. AW, for me, does not have the clout to make a new Saturday night show because their vice presidents can't get along with someone. And use that as an excuse out of the blue to introduce a new world title. I think a new world title for this collision show would be a massive mistake. They already have far too many championships that mean nothing and Tony struggles to boot. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, they don't have the clout to bring a new world title, according to David. However, they do have the clout to bring in a very expensive TV deal for all of its shows. Warner Brothers recently mm. played 
paid a, it will be approximately, hold on a moment, a 240 million a paid over a, a, a year, paid over five years, a total sum of 1.2 billion, a, which means a weekly average of 4.6 million per week for the three AEW shows. I think this is great business for AEW, but also great business from Warner Brothers because they have seen the price that Fox has paid for SmackDown, one billion for 10 years. However, you're never guaranteed all of the superstars. You're guaranteed a third of the roster. Um, Monday Night Raw, also a massive TV deal, but again, a third of the roster. With Sorry, well, two thirds with NXT being on your network. However, AEW making sure that when they invest in AEW, they invest in the whole of AEW and they get it all back. So uh, a good deal for all concerned and a great deal that AEW can still offer out WWE style wages and get more people in the industry working. I think that's a, a positive thing. Yeah, 100%. I'm surprised they got that money from Warner. Um, it's very much been Warner's strategy since the merger with Discovery to cut down costs. They've taken shows off of their streaming service. We heard the story about Batgirl not getting it released. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. very much been trying to trim the fat off of Warner. So in this climate, when that's Warner's strategy, to get that amount of money off of them, I think is very, very impressive and speaks highly of how much they value AEW as a product. The only thing I'd say, this is still a newish merger. Warner and Discovery, there will be, we've seen the passage of power in that company shift on a dime uh, over the past couple of years. So I don't want it to become a Ted Turner leaving TNT sort of situation. What happened with WCW, the the executives there lost faith in wrestling. You're playing with a big company like Warner Brothers. There's a possibility that could happen down the line. There's a couple of things to to pick up on, things that Goat said there. I mean, in some ways, yes, this is a lot of money in that context. But when you think about the price of live sport generally is enormous. So Mm -hmm. the fact that they, and also content, so... How, you, you look at the cost of producing a series like Batgirl, you know, Star Trek, Discovery, Star Trek, New, New Worlds, all Star Trek, Picard, all the big hits that are on that on on that station. Just now, um, they're expensive productions, and actually, wrestling is relatively cheap for the amount of content you get out of it. They're going to get Dynamite. They're going to get Rampage. They're going to get Saturday Slam down. <laughs> and anything else, they'll have the back catalogue there. They've got tons of stuff that will be there. You think about when you go into your um, Netflix and so on, there's tons of content there, 90%, 99% of it you'll never watch. So mm. in some ways, they get an awful lot when you divide that con- that value of that contract by the number of hours of content they're going to get out of it. One of the other things that this, uh, I think, shows is actually very promising signs for WWE as they're about to enter into renegotiations with SmackDown and USA Network for their properties. Um, that's very encouraging for, for them. Um, 
and the new holding company. Um, and I understand that they're in. Uh, there's reports that they're now into the, an exclusive period of uh, discussions with Fox about the SmackDown renewals that they'll have the first renewal. So we might hear some news about SmackDown's contract being extended sooner rather than later. Next one. Well, a good deal for everyone all round, it seems. However, a double or nothing. Uh, the main event for that has been announced. By the way, guys, the weekend of Double or Nothing, right? This is what is on that weekend. Friday, May 26, Impact's live Under Siege pay-per-view, a live AEW Rampage from Vegas, and the go-home SmackDown before Night of Champions. Then Saturday, May 27th, we have Night of Champions. Then Sunday, May 28th, NXT Battleground and AEW Double or Nothing are going up against each other. A, a weekend of um, far too much bloody wrestling, but yes, a great weekend uh, coming up. AEW main event, the four pillars in action, MGF, Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy and Darby Allen in a fatal four-way. And FTR, Dax Hardwood and Cash Wheeler defending the AEW World Tag Championships against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal for reasons. What a run Jeff Jarrett's having <laughs> Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? Yeah, good for good for him. I think um, FTR, if they don't win that match, is the worst booking decision of the decade uh, (laughs) thus far. Um, In terms of the fatal four way, I think on paper, when we heard that it was a four pillars fatal four way, we thought, oh, that's good new talent and stuff like that. The only thing that lets it down for me is that it's become very clear in recent weeks that none of the other four are on MGF's level. So there isn't a chance that any of the others are feasibly going to win that belt. And that's probably the thing that lets it down because it doesn't really feel like there's going to be stakes. It feels like we're going to watch a good wrestling match. But the outcome is always going to be MGF, I think. The best thing about this feud was Sammy and MGF's friendship that lasted a couple of weeks. That was great television, and those two clearly had fun working with each other. Um, I think that Darby and Jungle Boy have got a bit lost in the shuffle a bit here. Yeah, Darby Allen is someone... He was paired with Sting, and it seems like Sting has sort of held him up. Um... Jack Perry, uh, with Jungle Boy Jack Perry with the rivalry with Christian would have been a great rivalry if there wasn't continuous injuries. However, there was, and unfortunately it went on far too long. And Sammy Guevara, he seems sort of like, do you remember when WWE tried multiple times to push Eric Rowan and multiple times it failed and they just put him back with Ray Wyatt? That's sort of keeps it standing the bar at the minute. He goes out on his own. Ah, he's back with Jericho. I will tell him to that didn't work. He's back with Jericho. It just, it seems to be that, that continuous <laughs> failure. And as you mentioned, MGF, the best homegrown talent that AEW have produced. Yeah. Absolutely sensational. It should have had the belt a long time before now. And I don't see anything other than the MGF win here. Just quickly before we move on from this into our other stories of the week, Leva Bates recently announced she wasn't re-signed by AEW and that her contract was allowed to run out. Not exactly a fan of Leva Bates myself, however, 
if you are going to bring people into a company and you don't want to fire them because you don't want to be like Vince McMahon or you don't want to be like WWF and be cold and calculated and releasing people, ignoring people's calls and letting their contracts run out and not letting them move on with their life sooner yeah. is a bit... It's a bit of a shite bag, cowardly move, to be honest with you. 100% you, yes. you, One of the things about being a boss is you're not always going to be loved, as Gary knows all too well. <laughs> we're, all the, we're all the villain in somebody's story, Ross. Yep, whereas you have to sit down at some point and say, look, thank you for your service to the company. However, we're moving on and you're no longer needed in this next journey. Doesn't make yeah. you a bad guy to tell someone that the company's moving forward and they're not joining. So yeah, that that's just something I wanted to get out there because it seems to be while playing everyone's best friend, he forgets how to play a boss sometimes, Tony can. But yeah. moving on from him to the rest of the wrestling news, let's talk about Seth Rollins. We've always wanted to see him join the NWO. Well, he's joining Captain America, New World Order. David... <laughs> You're our film guy, or at least that's what we thought earlier before Gary came up. Allegedly. Second time, time films with Gary Kerman. Uh, Seth Rollins joining Captain America. Have you got any news on that? Yeah, um, so he's going to be playing a member of the Serpent Society. Uh, in the comic books, it was a bunch of snake-based villains uh, who all came <laughs> together. Um, I think it'll be a less silly version of that. Uh, in the comics, there have been either one of two things. There have been a group of vigilantes um, that have sort of come together. Uh, not vigilantes, sorry. He, like, What do you call them? People for hire. Uh, mercenaries, for God's yeah. sake. There have been a group of mercenaries that have been uh, sort of hired hands and hired guns for a lot of people, which would fit within the Captain America sort of Earth-based stories we see in Marvel. The more interesting one is there is a particular story where they are sort of hatching a plan to take over America. Um, the rumours of this movie, and we've seen in the Marvel Universe that America is becoming the villain of the MCU, uh, Thunderbolt Ross mm. is set to become the president, uh, played newly in this movie by Harrison Ford. Uh, so, is he? Are they linked to him? Uh, is Seth Rollins working for Harrison Ford? Is a sentence I never thought I'd say. Um, but we will need to see when this comes out. I think it's a great move for Seth to get mm. attached to the MCU. Um, it was his wife we thought would get there first. We knew that Becky Lynch was in talks with Marvel uh, for a while, but it's Seth getting this call up seen a lot of wrestlers uh, turned actors become successful in Hollywood. Uh, the Rock, John Cena, and especially in my eyes, Dave Batista among mm -hmm. them. Dave came into Marvel and uh, really made the, the role of Drax the Destroyer his own. I don't know if it'll be as big a part for Seth Rollins. I think it's going to be more um, of what uh, George St. Pierre did uh, in Captain America, uh, The Winter Soldier, uh, where he had that sort of one-on-one -on -one physical fight with Captain America. I think that'll probably be Seth's role here, but good for him overall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it looks as well, Becky and Seth seem to have started to get to that level of celebrity we saw WWE superstars used to get to. Yeah. And it's it's through just sheer charisma for the two of them. So congratulations to the both of them. Yeah. And yeah, it'd be good to see that. Drew McIntyre potentially leaving the WWE. That's what Dave Meltzer claims. He says, despite ongoing contract talks, he feels Drew McIntyre will walk away as he's not happy with his current wage and he's not 
happy with the current plans for him. Um, Gary, Drew McIntyre held WWE on his back during the pandemic era. However, being on SmackDown during the Roman Reigns reign of terror has kind of led to him being in not a Bret Hart 95 feuds. You know, you know he should be in better, yet he's feuding with people like Jinder and feuding with people like Karrion Cross, and it's just all about bluff. Yeah, I mean, the Bret Hart comparison is a good one, but to be fair to Drew, I wouldn't compare a feud with Gunther and Sheamus in the same same category as Isaac Yacom and John Pierre Lafitte. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody stole his sword in this particular feud, which was what Bret Hart had to do with Lafitte stealing his uh, leather jacket, of all <laughs> things. And Drew's not been in any Kiss My Feet matches uh, with Jerry Lawler that I've spotted. Um, I no, would but he had be, to work with Riddick Moss, so I mean, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> <laughs> I would be very surprised if Drew left WWE as somebody that did leave and worked incredibly hard to get back and worked incredibly hard to reach the top of the mountain. I could understand the, the feeling of... Um, not wanting to be at the top of the mountain again and not getting that opportunity to do there or, or to, sorry to be in that leap but there are so many main event guys that go through periods like this I think Seth is maybe an example of it when was the last time Seth was world champion oh there was a 20 was it 2018 when the fiend the fiend stuff hit yeah 2018 2019 yeah. yeah, so you will have periods like this, but it's how you stay relevant, how you keep yourself towards the top of the card and in a featured position. Um, so I would be, for one, surprised if Drew left. Um, but I can see why you might be disappointed about it. But he is moving to he has moved to Raw. He has the opportunity to to do some fresh work here, and um, I think. You know, I think WWC has upside. You know, he is he is a star, and they should move heaven and earth to keep him. So, I get that. I agree that the booking hasn't helped him. Mm -hmm. I agree. If given a run as a heel on Raw, he would do a fantastic job. And you look at what happened with Clash at the Castle. The whole show was built on him as a challenger to the title brought in a load of money for the company however if I'm looking at this from someone from Endeavour he doesn't move merch sales the way that other people do in the company he wasn't particularly entertaining as world champion I disagree with Ross that he carried the company on his back in that period I think other people were a lot more entertaining than he was I don't think he is a star he has an upside Certainly, and I like him, but he's also not getting any younger. So, if he is asking for a lot of money and guarantees on his position and wanting to be world championship contender, is that something Endeavour can hand on heart offer to him and say, Yeah, you're 100% the right guy for this position? Now, from Drew's point of view, He's got to back himself. And if he thinks he can leave WWE and do what he did before and make himself a star elsewhere, make a lot of money elsewhere, good on Drew for that. I'm just saying from Endeavour's point of view, 
I don't know if Drew McIntyre would be worth the money is when you start getting up the price brackets. It's all I'm potentially saying, playing a bit of a devil's advocate here. I think... I'm, I'm just reading more on his stats here. Teddy's very hands-on uh, with his creative when applicable, and there's been p- pitches for him to eventually return as a heel. Those involved and sp- expect him to at least push back and make sure that it creatively makes sense. He's been adamant about not making dramatic changes unless he feels it creatively makes sense. I can understand that, however, how many times have we seen someone dramatically change their character and it be the best thing for them? Mm. Um, It seems to be he is just upset at his place on the card, and apparently he was not told ahead of time that he was going to Monday Night Raw. Uh, He's usually told ahead, he's usually one of the top earners, uh, sorry, Usually the top earners are told where they're going beforehand. However, he has not been told this. I'm in two minds of it. I'd hate to see Drew go, but I wouldn't exactly be worried if he left because I feel there are plenty of people that can fill fill the void. And I also feel that he is someone who is... He's going to be fine wherever he ends up. Be it Impact, back on the Indies, ICW, just to get people stop asking when's Drew coming back. Uh, AEW, New Japan, wherever he goes, he will be fine. Oh, send him to New Japan. Imagine Drew Galloway is the leader of Bullet Club. Yeah. Like, unbelievable. I mean, this is why I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Because, like, some of those places you mentioned would be good for a period of time. But is he going to have a sustained run and make as much money as he does in WWE? And how long would he be in AEW before he just became another guy? Yeah. yeah. They don't have, like, you know, let's be honest, we're giving them credit, we're credited earlier on, but we need to fill them up on the the booking of so many of the people they say and they just very quickly fade into the fade into the distance there so yeah i mean we'll find out in fullness of time won't we i think drew is having a yeah. wee bit of fun playing along with some of the rumors on social yeah, and, good for and him. things to get people to talk about them yeah good for him and listen i'm not rooting for him to leave wwe like no. i don't want it to sound very negative i'm the guy who pitched him to squash seth rollins on the raw after night of champions i'd love to see a heel drew as world mm-hmm. champion all I'm saying is that I would give credence to the rumours that he could leave because if it is a company decision and who they need to cut and who they can't give more money to, is there a lot of justification for giving Drew a, a wealthy raise or uh, more control over where he is in the card? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people I would be cutting their salaries before we got to Drew in my list. Pretty well. <coughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about having a minute, don't you worry, but... Let's just uh, quickly do two independent wrestling stories. Uh, Progress Wrestling and TNT Extreme Wrestling both published the same statement uh, over the past few weeks, which said, Will Osprey and Paul Robinson, also known as the Swords of Essex, will be returning to both Progress and TNT Extreme Wrestling. After a comprehensive investigation in which both talent complied with all requests, and after taking on board all feedback internally, both TNT Extreme Wrestling and Progress Wrestling now look forward to welcoming back both talent as a team or individuals to each respective promotion. So it looks like they've not been booked for shows yet. However, 
there was a lot of stuff said about uh, Will Osprey and Paul Robinson during speaking out. Seems to be these clubs have uh, these uh, promotions have done their due diligence and. I mean, we've seen Will Ospreay. It's not exactly affected his career over in Japan. However, Paul Robinson was someone who was very prominent on the British indie scene. He hasn't been as prominent over the past few years. There was a story a few years ago when Progress came back after COVID where he was asked to leave backstage because the talent were uncomfortable from being there. But looks like going forward, they will both be welcome at TNT and Progress Wrestling. Um, ICW's Get the F Out happened this past Sunday. Gary, you were there. Three new champions, Zero G champion Jason Reed. Nice to see the Blue Half of Glasgow winning something this year. Uh, Chris Bungard and Paul Craig winning the Tag Team Championships. And Aaron Echo cashing in his square goal briefcase on Leighton Buzzard to become the new ICW World Heavyweight Champion. You were at the show, your thoughts on it? Really enjoyed the show, some very good matches, lots of uh, stipulation matches throughout it. I, one thing is very sure, if anybody's not seen the show back, that a ladder match in the garage is unnecessary, a step ladder match is maybe. <laughs> the, this, it's, the contract wasn't that high up, but Ashton Smith wins that, becomes number one contender. I think Ashton Smith is a stud. You know, he looks like a he looks like a star. I really like uh, the Kenny Williams cat creepy character that we got in ICW just now. Bungard and Berju. Um I, I think it was fairly obvious going into it that they were going to win the tag team championships in a submission match against the KOE, two cage fighters. <laughs> if I had to bet my house on a match, I had to put it on that one. Just Justice um, and Jackson, Jackie Polo and Jackson uh, had their strap match, another good, enjoyable match, some really good stories. And amongst this, uh, Levi, we had the Levi section at a fight club we were at recently, cost Sweeney's match against Aaron Echo. We've seen a, a heel turn for Sweeney there. I thoroughly enjoyed the main event, which was uh, Andy Roberts, Big Demo, and Leighton Buzzard. Leighton successfully defended the championship, but was then cashed in on by Aaron Echo. Aaron Echo, somebody that ICW have been pushing to the moon. I am not convinced. There is a difference in my view between oh and oh. And I think... <laughs> I think I experienced the latter at the square go, and I felt the same at the cash-in uh, on the Sunday evening. I think Leighton was really getting going as the as the champion there, getting lots of attention as well. He was featured in BBC Southwest this past week. Um, I thought his title drain was cut a little bit short. I, as a heel, I want to see Aaron Echo get beat. I'm not sure that he is the attraction that will make me buy a ticket. But ICW are doing some really cracking stuff in their rebuild and relaunch. Um, they reported us another sellout at the, the weekend. So sold out the last fight club, sold out Square Go, sold out Get the F Out. They're now going to be going all guns blazing towards Chug's House Party in August. And I have to finish my roundup with uh, ICW, Jason Reed winning the Zero G Championship. Um, 
somebody that clearly has come on leaps and bounds and has done an awful lot of work on the character. I don't particularly, even though I'm a Rangers supporter, I don't particularly care for that because I come to wrestling to get away from some of the nonsense that associates football in Scotland. But he has done fabulous work on developing a character and I'm pleased to see him getting rewarded with a, a championship reign. Brilliant. I am absolutely raging. I missed it. Um, I had my birthday on Saturday and did want to be in Glasgow after an old firm game because no matter what side wins, it's just full of drunken idiots. So I went out for a meal on Sunday. I was like, I should have went to ICW. <laughs> uh-huh. It did look an absolutely amazing show. Um, just some quick things before we get on to the big question. Uh, Impact Wrestling have announced they're going back to Australia. Uh, Impact Wrestling with a four-day, two-show Impact Down Under tour. Uh, the stars of the Impact Zone will be in Wagga Wagga. It's fun to say. New South Wales, Australia, starting Thursday, t- uh, June 27th. Two wrestling shows will be held on Friday the 30th and Saturday, July 1st at the Equix Centre. So Impact Wrestling taking advantage of the fact that WWE, AEW and actually New Japan, who go fairly regularly, have not been back down under for a while, taking advantage of that fan market. Trinity, the former Naomi, has debuted for Impact Wrestling recently. She'll have her first uh, match at Under Siege. It'll be an open challenge. She's issued an open challenge to anyone in the wrestling world. Begin rumours of Sasha Banks. Anyway. <laughs> this is, that's the problem with it. Trinity coming into Impact. Great move for Impact. Great move for Trinity. All for that. Yes. Announce her opponent is, because now if it's not Mercedes, people are going to be disappointed. Yeah. You know, I, I, I get it's cheap if you're trying to elicit that reaction or that expectation and don't fulfil it. But also, Trinity's first opponent in this open challenge should not be Mercedes Money. Because no. then it takes the attention away from the woman who reportedly is going to be with you for a sizable amount of time. So I think that's the wrong move, but happy that Trinity's there. I mean, it's not going to be Mercedes, is it? It's not. No. It's just not. It's not. And the rule in wrestling is if you have a surprise, it has to be a good surprise. It's like an instant replacement. The replacement's got to be better than the person yeah. they are replacing. Like the only person who it could be who would be bigger than Mercedes is obviously Billy Kay. If it's not Billy Kate, then we're in trouble. Well, we'll move on to the big question from two weeks ago. Uh, we discussed the draft. We thought of our best or worst. Who do we think will flop? Who do we think will, you know, be a surprise package? But we did get some response here. Ryan Dalgleish saying he wasn't too excited by huh? Joey Stark. <laughs> he wasn't too excited by the Joey Stark's call up. She isn't ready for it character wise because she doesn't have one. Interested to see Albert Fire and Ireland called up. He's high hopes for them. LA Knight was a huge night, a huge, huge draft for SmackDown. Uh, I don't see why Shotzi was a TV draft. Maybe better than NXT. Not entirely sure, but a bit of a nothing draft. Uh, Jack saying the best was Rhea Ripley going round one. The worst was Shotzi. Surprised to see her being a TV pick. Favourite NXT call up was Grayson Waller. It should have been on TV. His least favourite NXT call-up, Apollo Crews. What was the point of sending him back to NXT? Lose every feud and then he's called back up. I agree. <laughs> and then get eliminated in the Battle Royal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary Morris, favourite Grayson Waller, least Indus share. Best pick, Gunther and Imperium at Raw. Should be a great programme with Rollins and time. That'd be a good shout. 
Worst pick, Trish Stratus. Brace Bull yourself. idiot. Moron. <laughs> Won't be a full-time wrestler, so waste that could have gone someone like Roxanne Perez or Tiffany Stratton. Both are more capable of the step up. Uh, David Hockney saying, the best pl- pick is the bloodline. Still the most talked about story in WWE with teases of what's to come. Uh, the worst pick, Rick Boogs, makes no sense for him as a TV pick. And he's been out of injury for so long. He should have been in supplementary pick instead of Gargano. Favourite NXT call-up for Hockney, he said Grayson Waller. Walking heat magnet and could easily be the fastest rising star on SmackDown. We'd love to see him go up against LA Knight. That would be great, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Worst NXT call-up, Odyssey Jones. He looks impressive, but he showed little to nothing across two incarnations of NXT to really justify a position on the main roster, especially as he was running up to Carmelo Hayes in the breakout tournament, and he'll be just another body unless they have plans for him. I agree, actually. I'd forgotten he'd been in NXT that long, so that's actually a good point there by Dave. Guys, I spoke to you at length about the draft, but have you anything else you'd like to add to it since the draft has started? Yeah, a couple of things for me. I was curious, with 18 NXT call-ups, how WWE was going to start to introduce all of these people. And they've been introducing people uh, in bits and pieces, if you like. So we had on SmackDown, we had Cameron Grimes defeating Baron Corbin in, what, five seconds? We had Grayson Waller appear. He's going to be appearing again next week, hosting the Waller Effect or this Friday talk show. On Raw this week, we had Indus share. That's maybe why Ryan Gallagher's not with us this week. <laughs> uh, uh, we had Indus share's debut on Raw and them dominate, uh, destroying uh, two jobbers there. And I was curious, they had quite a lot of people in the Battle Royal, and I was interested about how how that was helping some people. And when I noticed, I didn't notice Jordan Devlin, JD Madonna to begin with until. Uh, he eliminated somebody and uh, eliminated Dolph Ziggler, didn't he? And then got no, eliminated himself. No, no. Him. Did he not eliminate Ziggler and then somebody eliminated him and he beat the hell out of Ziggler? No, Ziggler super kicked him. Someone eliminated Ziggler on the other side and then Devlin charged him for the back and threw him into the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we then seen him a couple of other times. So we ended up oddly timed video package immediately after that. I thought you might do that before the match, but then he got interviewed on his way out of the building, so he actually got a bit of a shine on him. And also, overall, it? Uh, if you notice when he's getting interviewed on the way out of the building, who's watching him from behind? Finn Balor. So mm. they're already teasing Jordan Devlin joining the, the Judgment Day, GD McDonough, uh, with that Balor uh, in the background of that interview. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely love for basically the judgment day to get fed up with Dominic Mysterio and all the bullshit. You know, we only we only recruited you to spite your dad and you've proved to be nothing more than a disappointment here. You're holding his back. And then watching Dom trying to weasel his way back in with people like Edge and Rey Mysterio, I think would make for great TV. It would. It would. Also, Gary, Grayson Waller, I think that they are going to send that man straight to a main event scene. He mm. obviously has the Grayson Waller effect coming up in SmackDown interviewing AJ Styles. They had a mini feud with AJ going to NXT for that. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised. Right. Do you don't want a, a a dusty finish 
or anything of that sort for this new world title. But I wouldn't be surprised if Waller cost AJ in Saudi or played some role there. Oh, that would be bold. Yeah. I don't think you'll cost him. However, I do think when he comes back to SmackDown, sort of the way sort of the way ironically AJ got into the world title picture when he beat Dean Ambrose. Yeah. He did it by bragging that he beat John Cena at SummerSlam and then getting in Dolph's face calling him a failure because he failed to win the title. Yeah. I could see Grayson Waller, what, seven years later? doing yeah. the same thing, going, I thought we were going to have another world champion here. What happened, AJ? And like, just getting in his face and just being a complete prick. Yeah. And yeah, but I don't see him cost. I think WWE are going to be, when Gary mentioned, obviously, that AJ has never been beaten by Roman in this 1,000 day reign. Yeah. Um, I think WWE are going to be very careful with how they book this world title match. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it looks like uh, JD McDonough the rumours of the Judgment Day, you'll be in a feud with Dolph Ziggler. Um, Apollo got an entrance mm. for a reason. Apollo! Um, <laughs> Zion Quinn was there, and then he wasn't as he was thrown out the Battle Royal. Um, Come Tuesday was there, and like a lot of a lot of good people. Zoe Stark had a match against Nikki Cross and Raw uh, mm. last week, which was a match. Uh, the <laughs> Again, I, I think we can all agree happened on TV. Happened on TV. They're going to be there to steal around their glitch slime. They're going to be there. Nope, my dog's gone mental. So I'm going to quickly ask you guys the question for this week and then I'll mute it and let you guys talk away. So it looks like Bray Wyatt's recent status on the internal roster. His name is nowhere to be found, apparently. Neither is Bo Dallas portraying Uncle Howdy. Apparently, he had an undisclosed illness that kept him sidelined. However, they now are bringing in a writer to work with Bray Wyatt. Is this the biggest flop return of all time, Bray Wyatt? Uh, I'm probably going to lean yes. Because the initial return with the door and the weeks of build-up and the QR codes was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was fantastic. And certainly might be one of the most high-profile flop returns because we gave it the benefit of the doubt with the promos for the first couple of weeks. This happened, this happened. They said the same thing. I think the problem is it lost direction. I think Bray Wyatt's a very captivating character if he comes back after this. There is the chance to to salvage it, but you need a structure and you need direction. It didn't feel like maybe Triple H has been more hands-off than Vince had been in the past, and Vince maybe had a tighter tether on Bray Wyatt. In terms of is it the biggest flop ever, Warriors return when he faced Triple H at Mania comes to mind that that was a bit of a flop return as well. The other ones from my time watching wrestling, I can remember Eva Marie coming back, turning Piper Niven at the Dewdrop and then fucking <laughs> off again. It was a particularly bad one. And Albert coming back as Lord Tenside to be dancing oh, with Brodus Clay after Albert. a couple of months uh, was a pretty yeah. bad one as well. But certainly, I, I had so many high hopes for this. I hope we can salvage it. But at this point in time, yes, it has been up there. <laughs> Gary, he had the mystery illness, um, kept off TV, 
meant to fight Bobby Lashley, that then get cancelled. They, they are bringing in writers to work with them. It does seem like they have made an investment and they want to make it work somehow. But the argument I would put to David's argument about um, Albert and uh, Eva Marie, they weren't brought back on um, arguably gargantuan wages like Bray Wyatt. They weren't brought back with months of social media teasing and live event crowd interaction and just such excitement compared to the Bray Wyatt return. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Uh, promised so much and has delivered so little. Um, Over promised and under delivered. Uh, one match in eight months is it now with uh, the match at the Royal Rumble, if you could call it that. Um, <laughs> I think for me, some of this spooky spooky shit is just a bit a bit too much too at much. times, and uh, also. This uh, guy that can't, you know, Ellie Knight is a big lump of a man. If he hits you, it should hurt. So the no sell <laughs> that we see in the matches as well, in a lot of Wyatt's matches, we've seen it a lot with the Fiend. It's hard to move beyond somebody that in a wrestling match doesn't get hurt. So I th- that needs to be tempered somewhat as well. So um, it's a couple of couple of aspects I would like to see change going forward. Clearly there's been a big investment in it and him. I can see them probably want to have another go at fixing it. We None of us know what the illness is. One hopes it wasn't or isn't anything serious um, and that his health isn't compromised going forward. But yeah, if we could dial down some of the spooky shit please. Yeah, it seems to be um we we mentioned Vince having more of a tether on it and Vince maybe holding back aspects that could have been good about certain versions of the Bray Wyatt character. It seems to be Triple H has let him run wild with it and it's not worked. And look, you know, the build is one thing, but it, this is wrestling. You're eventually going to have to get in the ring and wrestle. Mm-hmm. And the best wrestling version of Bray Wyatt was the one that was in the Wyatt family. However, he said he doesn't want to go back to the floral shirt guy because of his friend, Luke Harper. Look, I'm sorry, but you go back to the one then that fought Randy Orton. You know, maybe maybe leave the projector behind, but, you know, that was actually a good yeah. wrestler. That was a guy. <laughs> yeah, I think also, Ross, it's... The spooky stuff, I get what you're saying. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think it's just the fundamentals of storytelling we've got wrong. Every good story should have a beginning, middle and end. We never got out of the beginning at first with Bray and Uncle Howdy. It seemed to repeat that and drag for weeks. The middle then was non-existent and all of a sudden he's wearing a glow-up mask and Uncle Howdy's jumping off a tall structure for him uh, while facing LA Knight. None of it seemed to make sense. There's probably a good story in there, somewhere to be told. But if you're the writer who's been brought in for Bray, I'd argue that it's as much on him as it is Bray Wyatt in WWE for not telling that story effectively and getting that right. Is there a danger of, you know, and listen, the internet will never take WWE's side. WWE is always the bad guy. 
However, is there a danger as we sit here in 2023, Bray Wyatt debuted before Money in the Bank 2013. We've been saying for 10 years that, ah, but if they just get the booking right, but ah, if they just get the story right, but ah, if there was just this tweak to the character, is there a, a point where you need to turn around and go, nah, it's him? To be, to be decided. To be yeah. decided. <laughs> let's see how this, let's see how this, finish the story. Let's see finish how the story ends. <laughs> too many stories. <laughs> <laughs> Stories never end in WWE. <laughs> but he's tenders. <laughs> yeah, Bray Wyatt running the Queen Vic. I'll watch that. I'll watch that. <laughs> I don't see him being a Queen Vic guy. I think, I think a run with the, the laundry mat would do him well first. <laughs> Maybe running a stall in the market, but he's got to get some market under him before he gets to the Queen Vic. As well as we don't have to see another fucking cinematic match. <laughs> see, by the way, I think that's what the cinematic matches has which changed his opinion on wrestling and on the characters. Because, yeah, during the pandemic when there's no people there, great, but see when there's crowds there, we're not doing cinematic matches, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you need to go back to what's in the ring and We've seen before when people have tried to do scary gimmicks and we've tried to bring it into real-life wrestling, it comes off as hokey. So I think Bray needs to be realistic and rein the character in. Mm. You know, I mean, I say this as a massive fan of The Undertaker. The Undertaker's tricks were, Gong, he's behind you! And that was it. <laughs> like, yeah. well, and there were periods of... Yeah, there were periods of time though that the Undertaker was shooting and Kane were shooting lightning bolts and stuff like that. Which, um, uh, but that they learned their lesson and they, you know, the Undertaker wow. when he started was as you described, and then they learned the lesson and they went back to that more stripped back character. Yeah. So yeah, so that's our big question of this week: Is the Bray Wyatt return the biggest flop in WWE history? And if not, what would you do to help change it? If you want to get involved in that conversation, then that'll be on all our social media pages. That'll be on our Facebook, our Instagram, our YouTube, you name it. We we will have it at our socials. Eat, sleep, suplex, retweet. If you want to search Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet on iTunes, all Android podcasting sites, and Spotify, you'll find our massive back catalogue of previews, interviews, reviews, and all the news. And we will hopefully be back next week in a better setup, guys. But if not, it's always lovely to see your faces and it's always lovely to have you guys here. Mm-hmm. Lovely to see you both, as always. <laughs> Thank you, Ross. This is it. It's always great to, to be able to talk wrestling. Yes, it's just not the same without the pre-show pints. But anyway, <laughs> we digress from that. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Sports Social Podcast Network.